I'm like, where do I want to go with this? This is like, <laughs> pick a direction. I'm following you. I will follow you. <laughs> Peace. Welcome to another episode of On Shuffle with Cindy Lee. Happy New Year. It is 2020. We're about mm, like halfway into January. I hope your new year has been magical thus far and continues to blossom with every intention and plan that you have set forth to get it popping. Again, this is your succulent sexologist and this is our first interview together. And I'm super excited for it to be my homie, colleague, sex educator, kin, and mentee, Nefertari Sloan. I'm going to put their bio in the podcast notes, but I wanted to give you a little taste. So Nefertari Sloan is a non-binary person of color who has been facilitating conversations with people about sexuality uh, for about four years now committed to unpacking the influences of racism, heterosexism, and erotophobia, they aim to make learning about sexuality, above all things, a comfortable, consensual, and exciting experience. And I feel that you'll feel that once we get into the interview. They're a published writer, public speaker, and a dedicated friend. They've been featured in a Cosmo docuseries for their LGBTQ inclusive sex ed curriculum. They've also been featured on Scarletine, Race Bader, and Unspoken for pieces centered on self-actualization blended with self-care. So I'm super excited to get this year started with uh, an interview. I said I was going to start doing interviews, but anyway. Please, let's give a warm welcome, get our ears ready for the conversation between Sloan and I. All right, y'all. I'm super, super excited. Like, I don't even have a drum roll. I feel like I need a drum roll for you. But <laughs> thank you. See, you got me. This is why. This is why. <laughs> we are starting 2020 hmm. abundantly. Yes. Live. Hello, Sloan. Hello, Cindy Lee. How are you, I, love? I am blessed now. Ooh. I'm blessed. Ooh. I want to get feel that. it. <laughs> I want to get on that. There has been an abundance of energy just come on in the atmosphere, and I am I am taking it all in. All right, so I want to like talk about all the things. So. Even though this isn't January, this is going to be posted in January. So you are like the beginning. You are like my first interviewee. You are how we are starting 2020, which I'm super excited about because I feel like you're the energy oh, that's needed, right? I'm like honored. I am this, honored and I'm glad we get to start the celebration together. Woo! You are the vibe. I <laughs> I love you. Look, I'm going to tell you, I feel like we met, I feel like we were like Facebook friends mm -hmm. before we met. 
I was like low key, like one of your super secret digital admirers. Like the first time I saw you was when you spoke for Wachshin at mm. the hall. And I will never forget that you had said language was alive and just mm. talking about decolonizing grammar and how we can be inventing new words for things. And there's no proper way to talk because everybody's talking and communicating and vibing on different levels. And that permission was, I think, one of the first introductions to like real mentors that I've been able to find in the sexuality field. I, I quoted you that day. I tweeted it. If you want to go back to my Twitter, like what, 2016, but it was there. That was when I saw you. I don't know. I think maybe after that, we probably became friends on Facebook. Yes. So we must have connected through Woodhall. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, we were, I was witnessing a very important hashtag whether or not we want to discuss it is here nor there. But mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. my my big memory is when I walked into that icy class, because in my experience, you know, we are, what what was I told by someone? Sex ed, sometimes our spaces are a little homogeneous, is what I was told. Yeah, like language, right? Right. So like walking into that cohort and being like, oh, yes, okay. I'm he- good, right? Like I, I think I even a hit you. Of chips in the cookie. Look, and I, I feel like I hit you up before that to mm-hmm. be like, I think you're on my roster. And I said I will be there. Let's go. <laughs> okay, so like sex nerds all day, and mm-hmm. I feel like I appreciate you for your brilliance and also for you're the perfect person to start on shuffle with because I feel like we can flow in that way. Like you're so adaptable Mm. and you'll be like, all right, let's talk about all the things and we'll figure it out. We'll flush that out as we go along. Right. Cause like they can all relate. We, we got connections on connections. That's the point. Listen, I feel like that the proof is in the pudding. I'd love for you to talk about where your interest in sexuality education started from. And I feel like we'll just blossom from there. I got into this work by complete accident. I didn't even know I was a member of the LGBTQ community when I started allyship and getting involved in my undergrad year. But um, I had worked on some campaigns for, you know, our first gay state representative. And I had gotten some involvement and exposure into the politics side, realized that really wasn't for me. Um, I had tried to do some advocacy work in like trans asylum work for immigrants. And by the time I had graduated, I wanted to just find a job, like something that was going to pay me salary. And Mm-hmm. I had an opportunity to teach at Mazzoni Center. And at the time, I really, really wanted to do Black history. So much of what I had found out about the corruption of the government um, was not taught in my high school years. And I think that for those of us who don't necessarily get to make it to college and um, see how much the school to prison pipeline is affecting you know, our developmental years, um, I really, really had a passion about getting to the Black community and talking to communities of color about, you know, the things that were happening that we deserve to have at least knowledge of so that we could make more informed decisions. And I thought that teaching sex ed would be a good foot in the door so that I could go to grad school and get my master's and, you know, be considered fancy enough to to be a professor. So I fell in love with sex ed by accident. I didn't even know that this was on an even macro level, just an extension of the information that we were not getting access to. And sex education, I think, 
we have all just been robbed of as a generation for hundreds of years. And Mm. I became very, very passionate about spreading as much of the knowledge that I was able to learn at the same time, because it's been a work in progress. I have learned so much like in teaching and learned so much from my students that I feel much more like a vessel to just regurgitate, you know, what we're learning as the sexuality field continues to develop. I have a very strong belief that we are in our adolescence, especially in the United States as, you know, one of the younger countries. And, you know, research is yet to be done. Research is yet to be comprehensive. Everyone is not necessarily being given a seat at the table. So I'm just doing what I can with the communities that I am able to reach and hoping that that can reverberate in enough time to to get to the masses and start to affect people on a legislative level. Mm, 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 mm. I have to mute myself because, you know, I do a lot of call and response and I'm like, mm, okay. I like that. Mm. <laughs> that lets me know I'm landing. Yes, yes. Because, you know, you speak speaking to the choir here, but I feel like for so many folks that could listen to this, don't see the connection mm. in bringing in system impacted folks and the importance of like sexuality education and like Mm -hmm. overall development. And it looks like what it sounds like to me is that it's also healing work too in in disseminating it. Absolutely. I have, I have received more therapy in my studies in sexuality than I have actually going to see a professional, to be honest. Mm. Not to say that, you know, professional is not necessarily what's going to work for everyone, but, you know, we got to use all of the modalities that are available to us. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when we're talking about all these different identities Mm -hmm. and how do we serve our whole self and only bring up one piece of us, right? Mm -hmm. Or like when we go to these professionals and they might be really good at trauma, right? Whatever professional means, and they'll be really great at trauma, but there's a growth edge around like sex and sexuality, or you Mm -hmm. end up having to educate them about something. Mm -hmm. Because I... I think when I think about sex ed, I try. I think about it in parallels to like my experience of getting into the field and how these things are, at least in my experience, they weren't discussed until we started really looking at it like, wait, so we're not going to talk about race. We're not going to talk about like you're working in nonprofits that are directly impacting black and brown folks. And we're not going to mention that at all. Like they still were on the cusp of, oh, we're not going to bring up trans stuff unless there's trans young people in the room. And I'm like, how do you you know? (laughs) Right. But these are folks that are like comprehensive sex education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's difficult. I I agree. I think that, you know, comprehensive sex education and sex education in general, because it is so unregulated, tends to fall in many many sometimes absurd places on the spectrum. I think this ties in with some of the things that I had been saying around the abstinence-only critique and the idea that the reason why we should be teaching abstinence is to avoid STIs and unwanted pregnancy, when in reality, there are some benefits to being abstinent and to perpetuate fear and stigma and shame is like the wrong way about going about it. Right. And for for us to talk so much about values and how values inform us, but yet utilize these methods that are projecting one particular value onto most of the time folks that don't even live the same experiences as those who are dictating it. Right. Because absolutely abstinence is not going to work for everyone. Yes. Yes. And then we're still, regardless, you know, I've been doing this 
you know, that quote unquote professional route since 2008. And I feel like we're still talking about fear-based and Mm -hmm. shame. Like there's a lot of shame in the sex ed that we do do. Did you ever have to do, because I have a bone of contention around nonprofit. Like, did you ever have to work on some of these evidence-based curriculum or did you have the the freedom to do it? I had a lot of freedom. I had a lot of flexibility and I had a lot of privilege in being able to be a guest speaker at a public institution, like with the public schools, because they were not going to be held liable for bringing in someone and I wouldn't be held liable as someone who's employed by the district. So we got to talk about a wide range of topics. It was it was truly comprehensive. I was tooting my own horn because we had self-esteem. We talked about masturbation. We talked about pleasure. We talked about the benefits. I had people making contests about who had the longer list about what's what's uh, what are the benefits of masturbation. We talked about SCI. We talked about stigma. We talked about going to get tested, talking to partners, being specific about the things that you'd like and enjoy. We got to have a comprehensive gender and sexuality 101 course. It was 10 weeks of as much information as we could get into. And to be honest, I was getting the most, I was getting the, the biggest challenge around just trying to fit in as much as I could in a small amount of time. And to be honest, it was, you know, just being grateful that I had the 10 weeks, but then trying to equip them with ways that they can continue their education outside of just me being the only adult willing to talk to them about these things. But it was it was an amazing program. It featured a lot of different things. And I I am really grateful for that honor to be able to to practice that flexibility as I learned in my in my craft. Mm, so in your experience, because, you know, at, the more we do this sex ed work, the more we have these stories that stay with us, whether mm-hmm. good, bad or indifferent. So what what is a story or maybe a particular workshop that you do that that still resonates with you now? Mm. You know, I think one of the most resonant workshops that I had done was the one about consent, I think in light of the Me Too movement and mm. so many of the conversations that we've had around, you know, just folks figuring out how to talk about what they want and how to address their own personal needs and and figure out where their own boundaries are so that they don't feel like they were taken advantage of. Um really, really resonated for me. Like we had students do case scenarios and and talk about the gray areas and talk about nuance and talk about a level of different values that, that certain people had around slut shaming, around victim blaming. And it, it really allowed a lot of room for people to understand the impact of the moment that we're in. I, I, I'm a firm believer spiritually that this is the age of boundaries and it's not an accident that so many people are now being able to speak out about the oppression that they're receiving. But I really feel good about imparting some courage on my students to mm. be able to engage in these kinds of conversations. It's not easy. Mm, you're a gift. So in terms of consent, you were teaching it to young people, I'm assuming? Yes, yes. I was doing ages uh, 13 to 24 for the workshops that we had around like engaging with sex. And Mm -hmm. I had done some groups for second and third graders just around gender, sexuality and understanding, you know, some gender norms and ways that we can be more flexible around, you know, people's expression. Mm, that is a big age range and a multiple development, like multiple mm-hmm. developmental stages are in that. Mm-hmm. How was this received with young people? 
Because I know that's a bone of contention with folks. Yeah, honestly, I would say I'm very lucky (laughs) to be a fun and engaging individual. I think that it would be very difficult for me to go into a classroom, and I learned this uh, this fall with substitute teaching. Um, It's very difficult for me to go into a classroom with a different level of subject matter and get the same level of engagement that you get when you talk about sex. I think that, you know, without a doubt, there are going to be different levels of developmental maturity. Not everybody has sex at the same time. Not everybody enters into this conversation at the same time. And I make sure to include that in our community agreements at the beginning of class. Hey, everyone, like you are not required to participate. Like I am not here to force you to have conversations that might make you uncomfortable. We're here to learn and we're here to have a good time. And I hope that you want to join us. I invite you to, but it's really going to be consensual above all things. And, and that's a priority for me. So I invite the young people Um, The younger groups, you know, um, I have had my fair share of really immature classes and people who can't, you know, get it together and people who want to laugh about body parts. But, you know, like that's a part of growing up. And like, I don't count them out any more than I would have counted myself out at that same age when, you know, it wasn't as relevant for me to be hearing about how to put on a condom. Now, for some others, it is more relevant and it is information that they deserve. So I would hope that they could treat it just as much or if not more important than their math or history class. See, I hear you. And all I keep thinking about is the amount of like, again, that you're a gift, right? And like being an engaging, invested sexuality educator is a Mm -hmm. gift. And also like the amount of emotional labor that being invested. So like having a minimal amount of time with these folks and like that works in a positive way because like you can pop in, talk about these things that their teachers may or may not be talking about and pop right out. But you also are trying to do the sex ed that I'm sure your organization or you yourself are trying to deliver while bringing in all this nuance and all these other factors that to you make so much sense that it's included in sexuality. Mm -hmm. But to other folks, they're like, you're supposed to be talking about condoms why are you talking about uh self-esteem Right. But yes. And because Mm -hmm. honestly, like if people don't have the self-esteem level to even work their way up to talking to someone, then how are we going to get to the condom level? I'm all about building up our chakras from the root and beyond, you know, not to say that one is more important than the other. I think everyone needs to have practice at everything. You know what I mean? We need to know what our options are. So much of my own learning had to happen through experience. I grew up not knowing that I was a lesbian because I wasn't attracted to feminine women and Mm -hmm. little that I know that, you know, people can come in different packages and, you know, there are multiple ways of of looking at things. And I think honestly, the fact that I have had to shift so much of my understanding because of what I was taught and what I decided to question that I am in a really good position to translate some of this information to at least the communities that I can reach. Mm, I was praise dancing that you don't see me. I'm like, okay, we're here for all of this. I think we're going to end up going back to sex ed because I think that's just gonna how it's going to turn up. But you brought up the work that you were doing around uh, gender presentation and like lesbianism. And I know you've done work around like stud for stud. Uh, do you want to speak a little to that? 
Sure, sure. I actually got got contacted by someone who's doing a documentary on one of the people that I included in my presentation. So it's it's very like timely at this uh, at this point for me to be bringing up some of the research that I did. But in the LGBTQ community, there is a lot of discrimination against stud for stud or mask for mask lesbians because of the idea that people are associating them with men, and it's really just a conflation of sexual identity and sexual. Uh, uh, behavior, expression, and gender identity, where people aren't understanding that, you know, just because someone is assigned a certain thing at birth means that they're going to identify a certain way, means that they have to dress a certain way, and so on and so forth. So it was really exciting because I was able to get over 400 responses from folks and a lot of themes around, you know, just the prevalence of negativity and, you know, a need for representation. So I'm hoping that, you know, the more that this gets talked about, the more notice, notice that people can take to their own biases, you know, that we could have less instances of discrimination and and happier couples. Because, you know, ultimately when you are in tune with your inner masculine and feminine, studies have shown that you are just at better peace with yourself. Mm -hmm. Because there's a a confidence that comes out of this alignment when you're just like your authentic self. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy because, you know, a lot of what we have going on in our society tells us that we have to be a certain way. So it takes questioning that and it takes a lot of courage. Absolutely. Especially when you're talking about something so specific and not that it's few and far between. It's very much uh, a part of the, the LGBTQIA community. But if you look at our media, there aren't a lot of representations of masculine center folks with other masculine center folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do my best to try and get out as much media as possible. <laughs> Feel free to uh, see what I have on my website, Nefer com as well as Instagram. So uh, Sloan5678. But I think honestly, it's, it's really about just having more conversations around it and allowing people to, you know, date whoever they want. You know what I mean? A lot of the times, like people are modeling after heteronormative, you know, things. And there were points for that at, at one point in time for safety reasons, why people needed to assimilate or why people wanted to assimilate. But the more that folks realize that, you know, binaries don't have to define us, um, I think the happier they can be. Absolutely. And Do you have any plans for the submissions that you have, like the research that you conducted? Um, Well, I've done a few presentations at a couple of conferences and also did a a TEDx style talk on this as well, this topic. But at this point, other than the documentary that's coming up, I don't have a lot of media outlets for it. If anyone's interested in discussing, um, feel free to contact me. I'm happy to share the the research, the PowerPoint, some of the themes with uh, anybody who's who's down yeah and especially i love bringing this up and tying it to sex ed because when i first got into sex ed this language wasn't language that was used so like i remember putting folks on and my graduate programs around like what an ag or a stud was because of that frame of reference not being there. And if our professionals don't know that language, like how are you serving folks who actually have these identities that are in our classroom? You're not. (laughs) Right. And that's why like, I always want to big you up because in decolonizing what we think uh, like a professional should be, like Mm -hmm. you're doing work that people are getting dissertations on, right? Mm -hmm. And you just saw an, an... Uh, a need and wanted to get this intel, for lack of a better word, so that there is more representation and there's receipts 
around folks in these communities. I actually, I had a bit of a personal investment as somebody who was mask presenting and also interested in dating masculine people. And it was, like I said, it was by accident. Like I just started dressing masculine because I thought that if I dated femmes, then I would be the right kind of lesbian. And it really was just not what I was into. It's not what I was attracted to. And it was more about me needing to reconcile my own stuff with, you know, my first girlfriend. So I think that, you know, the more that people can just model and be willing to humble themselves and be willing to be flexible and adapt and evolve, it's prompt, like it's destined for you to be able to, to, to do you. Do you and not worry about what other people are doing too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Do you? Like, that's the point. I think that's going to be the theme of, of 2020. You know what I mean? Like inner work, inner self and letting that exude. Have you seen the documentary, The Same Difference? Yes, I did. I went to a showing actually in Atlanta. I was so excited. It was amazing because like I said, like there isn't a lot of representation and they had um, two studs that were in a relationship. They talked about the discrimination they faced. They had, you know, examples of other people who seemed to think that, you know, relationships needed to be studs and femmes. And I included her documentary in my presentation. Mm, Woodhall? Woodhall. No, no, no. This one was at, oh yes, no, I did do one at Woodhall. I did one at Woodhall and I did one at the Unity Through Diversity People of Color Conference that was in Albany. Oh, that's beautiful. Shout out to Nika because I feel like Nika's going to do something additional, like either a same difference part two or like expand upon it. And I wonder if there's like a way to connect y'all because I feel like that's so important. That would be great. That would be magical. So we we just talked about 2020 and this is going to be released in 2020. So what what are you thinking about about this new year? Is are you somebody that believes in like new years? Are you going by Gregorian calendars? Are you just like let's go? You know, I've been I have been trying to decolonize around goals, you know, a little bit and just appreciate the present. Being present has been like a super big theme for me, but in planning for the future, I am hoping to um, beef up my tarot. You know what I mean? I just discovered tarot cards and I am obsessed. And I think that they have helped me a ton in just my decision making and being mindful and like not being as impulsive. Like I got a lot of changes that I'm trying to make and I'm trying to like give myself a head start now by developing a good routine, by, you know, doing a, a gratitude practice, thanking, you know, the universe and my higher power for even allowing me to be able to breathe another breath today. So I am I am doing a lot of transformation. My theme is going to be fearlessness. So letting all of the anxiety, all of the doubt, all of the imposter syndrome go. Like a lot of really great people that I know in my networks are like so worried about what other people might think of them. And I think that uh, a big value of mine is just making sure that I'm happy with with myself and like I'm proud of like what I'm doing. So I want to like be able to model that and hope that other people can pick up what I'm putting down and 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 you know, do them as well. Yeah, absolutely cuz I think fear and imposter syndrome keeps us either super super stagnant or frozen and just in this cycle of like oh, I'm gonna beat myself up because I don't think I'm enough and oh, I'm not doing any stuff. So now I'm not enough and I'm placing a value on this particular point when it's just, how can we befriend our fear? Like how can Mm -hmm. our like fear be our homie and still Mm -hmm. be like, you got to go home, right? Like we Mm got to, we got stuff to do and like push through that. So it sounds like being grounded in 
like that self-awareness of being like, do I like myself? Am I happy yeah. with the work that am I doing that I'm yeah. doing? Am I staying in integrity? Mm-hmm. And is that something that like you had to cultivate or was that something that was already just part of your being? Because I feel like you do that so much, even in the work with uh, selfies that you bring in to incorporate yeah. in your sexuality yeah. work. Thank you. I do love a good selfie. I feel like, you know, that was my other claim to fame, being a selfie master. I loved seeing myself smile, getting a good lighting, getting a good angle. I do think that selfies can be a form of masturbation. And I think that they're a form of self-pleasure because if you are able to put yourself in a way that you want to see yourself, it, it does sign to, it makes you feel better. Smiling at yourself, it will make you feel better. Please do so often. Um, but I also think that like this last year has just helped me to evolve so much into a different kind of self-mastery where it's a little less superficial and it's a little bit more energetic and it's a lot more spiritual and it's a lot more of the planes that need to keep me aligned with my purpose. And I think that I have just learned so much that I am I am willing and ready and able to like do whatever I can to to share the knowledge that I have with other people. I, I know that I'm supposed to be a sex educator. I'm, I'm really glad to be on the path that I'm on. And I just can't wait to, to help, you know, whoever needs it. You're magical. No, you. <laughs> I I love the way that you frame selfies as masturbatory, as self-pleasuring, like this decadence that you deserve, like you deserve reverence and why not have it come from you? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And with, without, without knocking like other loves, because I know some people are like, oh, if you don't love yourself, you can't love anyone else. And I don't think that's accurate. Of course. Uh Uh-oh. You look at it separate. You're looking at, yeah, I like love and no Mm -hmm. one's going to deter me from mine. Yes. I like options. I like to have Mm -hmm. everything. Give me all of the things. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So to me, it sounds like selfie is, it sounds like it's also part of like your self-care practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my goals for 2019 was to selfie and smile daily. Like that was my medicine. I took five selfies a day. I did not, you know, manage to keep that goal. You know, it was a lot of days in a year, so it is what it is. And I'm flexible with myself for that too. But, you mm-hmm. know, I did notice like when I had a regular routine that taking pictures did affect my mood. And like one day, like if I ever felt down or like some felt off, I was like, did I take any pictures of myself today? And sometimes it would be that I had forgotten. And I'm saying, this is what it is. You know, this is my medicine. I also think that, you know, there is something to be said about having the privilege to have like a nice camera, a front facing camera, an iPhone. You know, I I used to be an iPhone snob, still am low key. But um, I think that being able to like, set the stage for yourself, be in environments that you want to see yourself in. Like all of it matters. Like aesthetic is like really important. And for me, as someone who appreciates beauty in all of its forms, like I try and surround myself with things that are also picturesque. So just be mindful of like where you are, like who you're with, like, is this a memory that you want to keep? You know, I think that it's been really, really helpful for me, especially in reminding myself of, of how much I'm, I'm capable of and, and what I've done and what I've been through. Mm, and that's, 
That's so important, especially like I feel like so many people are talking about, oh, what's happened in this past decade. And I think about all the pictures that I didn't take or all the journaling that I didn't do that now I'm like, shit, I don't remember what happened. But I still feel it, though. Like, I still feel that something was impactful at that point in time. But now my memory you know, memory is so fleeting. So like mm-hmm. you question whether it's your own or not. Yeah. And just to include this in your practice, you're also starting an archive, right? A narrative. Yes. Yes. I remember I was telling you, I went to the Met, which was an experience all on itself. I don't even need to go there. But um, I was telling you that I felt like our social media platforms are like the new age museums. You know what I mean? And like, mm. I idea that like we have, seized our own form of of curating our own platforms and like memorializing ourselves online in this digital way is like very black mirror you know what i mean but i also think it's very cool that you know we're able to document all of that stuff to like have gigabytes of data and like be able to say oh like what am i doing in 2015 because you know if we're not documenting it like it will be gone i've started to think of my brain as a hard drive and it just wipes itself clean whenever it mm. feels like for real for real and i don't know if you've seen westworld and um this won't be like a super huge spoiler but you know the robots they have you know memory and like i i think that our own brains are similar to that like we when we're being present are you know checked in and in our bodies and 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 connected, you know, but like when we're thinking about something that happened to us, like that's taking our brains to a different place. And something that somebody told me that really hit me hard was your brain doesn't know the difference between actually being with your ex and looking at pictures of them on social media. So like as often as you are like putting certain things in front of your mind, in front of your eyes and your ears, like that is what you're telling yourself to focus on. So like, why not focus forward? Right. Cause the energy can physiologically impact us. So what kind of energy do you want to be receiving? Right. That makes me think of all types of consumption in terms of energetically. Like I think it ties to like 2020 being a lot about intention yeah. Who do you want around? What do you want to be consuming? You know, mm-hmm. how much, So you know, I feel like everybody puts binaries on things and like they bastardize, oh, you know, inside is better than outside without honoring like adornment and your your outside presence is beautiful and, and we're like worthy of honor too. And mm-hmm. I think it goes with um, the binaries around like social media and whether or not, you know, some folks are like, oh, social media is so terrible. But I'm like, this is an archive and a legacy that we'll have right. and an opportunity to have community. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about so much. And like speaking of the binaries, like it's it's so strange because I don't think there's enough like appreciation for the harmony that binaries present. Mm. You know what I mean? Like masculine and feminine, like they're not fighting with each other. They work right. together. You know what I mean? I was reading The History of White People um, by Nell Irvin Painter. Mm. Blue, blew my mind. I'm only five chapters in. And at one point she referenced how peace is a feminine trait. And I'm I'm sitting here like my mind is blown because I'm thinking back to like all of the pageantry we see where women are like, oh, like, World peace, world peace. Meanwhile, I'm in a corner. I'm a, I'm a little kid like, hello, can we fix the natural disasters? Like Mother Earth is like dying. We need to do stuff for the planets, you know? But to think that like earlier days or like 
BC, you know, people are assuming that just because you wore that that's masculine and that that means you're being a man. Like, no wonder masculinity got so toxic because people could not appreciate, mm. you know, that silence for the time that it's it's necessary to to create balance in the universe. So, I just know we got so much work to do. Sheesh. If there was, if because I know this is hard, I, I don't even know how I would answer it. But if there was a piece of this work. That you're like, this fills my cup. I can do this and find joy in this on a regular basis. What is something you would want to be leading in terms of this sexuality work? Mm. You know, it's very minor, but it would bring me joy. And it's something I could do for a sustained, like the rest of my life amount of time Mm -hmm. is to educate people on skin hunger and maybe Mm. do a little bit more work in the mechanics of a hug. Like I love hugs. I'm the CHO. Like I literally offer hugs to any person that I meet. It's a really big thing for me. And I think that hugs are a form of my own medicine as somebody who is comfortable getting them. I have two good friends that don't like hugs and it's important to, you know, make sure that the people that you're hugging like them. Um, But Mm -hmm. I wish that like there was some way the government could just give me a grant to like hug people for the rest of my life. Like that would be, that would be good for me. You know what I mean? That way I'm, I'm getting to pass on a gift that I know I have in, in that kind of connection, you know, cause human connection, bodily connection, like that is paramount. And it's, it's one of those source things that brings us all together as people. And I would love to be able to do that. If I had to do something for the rest of my life, that would be it. Oh, that's perfect because I've been thinking about doing non-sexual touch kind mm-hmm. of event. Mm-hmm. Like we need to talk on the on the side of this because yeah. how we've muddled it with so much fear and shame mm-hmm. that we don't even touch one another, even in non-sexual ways. Right. And that there's beauty and sexual touch too, but like the need and I'm I'm appreciative that studies are starting to show that a little bit more, mm-hmm. but not when it comes to like sexual intimacy right. and the need for right. skin hunger in that. But I just want to hug folks. I feel right. like the energy is just so necessary. <laughs> I don't understand how we can understand that babies need attachment, mm-hmm. but that we think that that stops there. Ageism. You know, that's what it is. People just forget mm-hmm. they used to be kids. That's all. <laughs> People forget that we're actually, you know, human beings, all of us, no matter how old we are. It's wild. It's wild. I want to do a plug for young people. Please stop calling them kids, young people. (laughs) Word, word. You know, switching language, being more aware of just like the type of of words you're putting into the space is so important. Yes. And especially young people are so brilliant. Mm -hmm. If we would just center them, Mm -hmm. they understand this stuff. Like I have full on engaged conversations with young people and they get this like, oh, we should know this in a very proactive way. And I feel like so much of what we do is reactionary. Right. But it's still, you know, like we said, all fear-based. That's erotophobia. That's the, oh no, what will happen if, when the reality Mm -hmm. is, it's like, we already know what will happen. We've already seen it. Why are we continuing to perpetuate it? Please, let's make it stop, (laughs) you know? But I I do think that we are making progress. I think it's just going to be a very slow journey. Very, very slow. Well, 
I think with folks like you wanting to take the mission on to talk about skin hunger, Mm -hmm. a term that I didn't even learn about until graduate school Mm -hmm. is beautiful. And even just taking away from the term, like we already knew these things. We didn't have language for them sometimes or not language that was centered or seen as quote unquote appropriate. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think like speaking to the language, this is like there are different names for all kinds of things. To be honest, I discovered that, you know, I had a little identity because I saw someone talk about enjoying coloring and liking snacks and wearing a good onesie. And I'm like, oh, there's a name for that. Like, you know, I I like bubbles. I like playing. I like having a good time. I like my inner child. And like, I think that as long as people are willing to be flexible with their definitions and be flexible Mm. with what they think that they have to be in order to act a certain way and don't think that identity is going to define their behavior, then you'll feel like a little, a little less, you know, constricted in your decision-making processes. And we'd see a lot more tenderness. I'm Mm -hmm. like, so here for tenderness between folks. Yeah. So I was very intentional about, I want to interview people that I fuck with, not just people that are like somebody that's going to give folks some type of notoriety. I think you're a big deal, but it's also, I appreciate your presence and your energy. And I feel like you're so necessary to the world. So I want folks to know like how they can connect, what things are you excited about that fill you up, whether they have to do with work or not for Ugh. this upcoming year. Sanjeeli, you are buttering my biscuit. I feel it. I feel <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, um, honestly, I am trying to find a full-time job. So if y'all know anything, send something my way. I'm going to make a shameless plug for myself. Um, I am also working on contextualizing some of that work around abstinence, because I do want to delve more into the benefits of spiritual abstinence. So if anybody um, wants to talk about that from an energetic level, please reach out to me. Um, I can be reached on my website at nefertarisloan.com. That is N-E-F-E-R-T-A-R-I-S-L-O-A-N.com. Um, I also am on Instagram. I have a Instagram handle at Sloan5678. But disclaimer, I am taking breaks from social media from Monday to Friday. I only download the apps on Saturday and Sunday. So that is when I get my social media on. It has been a very disciplinarian process. So for other people that are capable of uh, downing their screen time or want to, just know it's possible. We're out here holding each other accountable. Word. What else am I doing? What's going on? That documentary, that documentary is happening too. So, you know, if for people that are fans of the Stud Slayer, be on the lookout. More to come. <laughs> Stud Slayer. <laughs> Look, I felt like it sounded like I was closing this, but now that you said Stud Slayer, I'm like, let's do more to that. Tell me more about that. Well, well I'm going to just say, I know that someone who um, does her work is now putting together a documentary on her. Um, and they reached out to me asking if I can make a comment because of the work that I was doing with Stud for Stud. And we have recently reconnected. So stay tuned. I love that. I love that we can connect with one another and like collaborate in these ways mm-hmm. to bring forward the things that need to be had because we can't wait on other folks to give us the opportunities. Uh-huh. We gotta just Right. Besides, you know, the community is so damn small anyway. Listen. Who doesn't know whoever? <laughs> we just need to be transparent about it. So we <laughs> mitigate harm. I just right. want to mitigate harm. Super real. You're amazing. 
Thank you. Thank you. But, you know, I learned from you. You are my mentor and much respected colleague. I love you. And, you know, I am here for whatever magic that's coming this year and the next. Uh, I'm in support. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I will be reaching out because, you know, I need my tribe. Listen, because I'm already like, oh, you download your apps? I might have to do that. We might have to do accountability around that. Yes, for real. Like, it's necessary. That stuff will drive you crazy. Yes, yes. And I mean that in the the most PC way possible. You will get driven crazy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's And I feel like so many, look, I'll get on a tangent, but I'm like, so many folks tie it to motivation. And sometimes we just need discipline to, to make a habit. Right, exactly. And speaking of discipline, because this is the perfect segue. I know you said we wanted to go here. (laughs) I have decided I have entered into a BDSM relationship with the universe. And like, that's the discipline that's coming from other places. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't be on your phone all day. Get done the things you need to get done. Finish these chores because that's how you have to operate in your life. You know what I mean? And Saturn's return has been very clear for me. So I am listening to the messages that I receive. Mm, you are tuned into your intuition and oh, listening real. to the I, I, to the pow pals. Yes, all of them. Look, I'm looking forward to see what this discipline and trajectory is going to be happening. And I feel like everyone that listens will be tuning in as well. It'll be great. It'll be great. But y'all going to have to keep up on Saturday or Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Boundaries. Boundaries, y'all. All All right. Again, thank you so, 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 so much. Thank you for having me. It was so fun to talk to you. Yes. I will absolutely put all your information on the notes so that it's accessible to all. All right. Perfect. Reach out to me, guys. I'm really nice. I promise. Yes. I can attest to that. Wasn't that dope? Like in listening while I was editing, all I could think about is this one moment where I was teaching a class that Sloan was in and I went outside to like have lunch or something and Sloan was in the parking lot blowing bubbles. The joy is embodied through Sloan and I hope you felt that too. Again, thank you for listening. This is On Shuffle with Cindy Lee. That's me, your succulent sexologist. Be sure to hit me up if you have any questions or I'd love and appreciate your reviews and your feedback either through all the platforms that On Shuffle is on or shoot me an email at onshufflecl at gmail.com. And of course, you can find me on the Twitter, the Instagram, and the Facebook at my government name, which is at Cindy Lee Alves. I will talk to you soon. Take care. Shimmies. <laughs>